I'm Scott Aniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. It has always been a characteristic of God's people that they are a singing people. This was Paul's admonition when he commanded Christians in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 to sing. Early church father John Chrysostom emphasized the power of singing when he said, Nothing so arouses the soul, gives it wings, sets it free from earth, releases it from the prison of the body, teaches it to love wisdom and to condemn all things of this life as concordant melody and sacred song. Ambrose of Milan, a 4th century pastor known as the father of Latin hymnody, said this, A psalm is the blessing of the people, the praise of God, the joy of liberty, the noise of good cheer, and the echo of gladness. This emphasis on singing continued through the Middle Ages and into the Reformation. Martin Luther said, We have put this music to the living and holy word of God in order to sing, praise, and honor it. We want the beautiful art of music to be properly used to serve her dear creator and his Christians. He is thereby praised and honored, and we are made better and stronger in faith when his holy word is impressed on our hearts by sweet music. Later, Jonathan Edwards continued this emphasis when he said, The best, most beautiful, and most perfect way that we have of expressing a sweet concord of mind to each other is by music. Yet, God's people have also recognized that we must always look to Scripture to guide us in understanding why we sing in worship and what this singing should be like. There are many places in Scripture that give us principles that should inform our practice of singing and worship, but there's perhaps no better a source of such guidance than the God-inspired collection of songs, the book of Psalms. This is why, despite the fact that most Christians in church history have written and enjoyed singing newly written songs, all Christians have emphasized Old Testament psalms as the source and standard for all that we sing. One of those psalms that I think best models why and how God's people should sing is Psalm 96. And I'd like to read this psalm and then look at what it has to say about our singing in just a moment. Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This psalm is a wonderful example of why we sing in corporate worship. And I want to look at it in just a moment. But first, I want to highlight 
one of these hymns that has been written in the history of the church that you might not know but is well worth singing. And it's the hymn, Father Most Holy, Merciful, and Tender. It comes from around the 10th century, originally written in Latin and translated later by Piercy Diermer, in 1906, Diermer was the text editor of the English hymnal. It's a wonderful hymn. It's a Trinitarian hymn that focuses our attention on praising the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, often set to a tune named Christi Sanctorum from the 17th century. Now, this is a, a hymn well worth singing. The first stanza reads, Father most holy, merciful, and tender, Jesus our Savior with the Father reigning, Spirit of mercy, advocate, defender, light never waning. Really, this whole hymn is, is actually just two sentences, sentences long. So the sentence is not even over yet as it moves to the second stanza. Trinity blessed, unity unshaken, deity perfect, giving and forgiving, light of the angels, light of the forsaken, hope of all living. So it's still just directly addressing God in his Trinitarian essence. Third stanza, maker of all things, it continues, all thy creatures praise thee. Finally, we get to the, the core of the hymn. Lo, all things serve thee through thy whole creation. Hear us, almighty. Hear us as we raise thee heart's adoration, period. So finally, after the third stanza, we get the full sentence. And then we find in the fourth stanza, summation of the whole point of the hymn. To the almighty triune God be glory, highest and greatest, help thou our endeavor. We too would praise thee, giving honor worthy now and forever. I'd recommend you take a look at this hymn if you visit classichymns.org. You can download this hymn for free. So Psalm 96, I think, is a wonderful example. There are many examples, of course, that we could look at, but Psalm 96 is a wonderful example of a God-inspired psalm that tells us why we should be singing. Psalm 96 is a hymn, classified as a hymn, a song of praise in response to the nature and works of God. A psalm like this really serves as a key example of the fact that when we sing to the Lord, we are not just making music. We are not just doing something pretty or enjoyable. Rather, as the psalm models for us, when we sing to the Lord, profound things are taking place. As the psalm says, we are expressing deep affections from our hearts when we sing, like joy and exaltation. We are magnifying God's glory and strength and proclaiming what he does. Singing helps us, as the psalm says, express thanksgiving. And other things like lament, contrition, praise, confession, grief, love, and so much more. In fact, singing helps us to express those things to the Lord in ways that would not be possible if we didn't have song. I mean, we can and we should bless the Lord with, with simply words. We should tell of his salvation and declare of his glory and exalt him with just words alone. But singing helps us do all of that in, in nuanced and powerful ways that would be impossible if we didn't have music, if we didn't have songs to sing. Augustine said, The song of jubilation signifies that love born in our heart cannot be spoken. And to whom is such jubilation due if not to God? For he is the ineffable one, he whom no words can define. But if you cannot speak him into words, 
and yet you cannot remain silent, what else is left to you if not the song of jubilation, the rejoicing of your heart beyond all words, the immense latitude of the joy without limit of syllables? That, that's the power of singing. We would not be able to express certain affections and sentiments of our hearts if not for the power of music. But also notice in Psalm 96 that these expressions of our hearts through singing don't exist in a vacuum. and They're not for their own sake. Rather, singing to the Lord is a response. That's what the psalm shows us. Singing is a response to who God is and what he has done. And we can see that just in the structure of this psalm. David raises a call to express through singing, and then he gives us the response to those expressions three times, just in the opening few lines. And the pattern continues through the rest of the psalm. And this is important to recognize because it is a central mark of a good hymn. A good hymn is not just an expression of emotion. It's not even simply expression of emotion directed toward God. No, a good hymn contains both expressions of appropriate affections directed toward the Lord and theological reasons for those expressions. And that's what we see through the entirety of this psalm. You see, a psalm that contains only descriptions of emotion can easily devolve into sentimentalism and emotionalism. And a song that contains only statements of theological facts really defeats the whole purpose of singing and leads to dry intellectualism. A good hymn avoids both of these extremes by expressing both the heart's affection toward God and the reasons for those affections, just like is modeled here in Psalm 96. I want to look further at the psalm in just a moment, but first I want to recommend to you a book that is helpful in this topic of singing in corporate worship. And it's a book called Singing and Making Music, Issues in Church Music Today by Paul Jones. This was published by PNR in 2006, uh, but a book well worth reading. Uh, An an easy read. This is not a a dense scholarly book. This is meant to be uh, practical, but very biblical and very helpful. Uh, Really, it's a collection of essays. It's not one continuous argument through a book. Each chapter is, in a sense, a standalone essay. But things like sermon in song, sacred music as proclamation, sacred music as prayer, applause for who are you clapping, asking the question, should we be applauding in worship, a biblical case for instruments in worship, and on and on, wonderful uh, wonderful chapters that deal with various aspects of music and worship, Trinitarian hymnody, hymns in your church, uh, even issues in the church like should, should uh, church musicians be paid? Uh, does a biblical, what does a biblical music director look like? Teaching children music in church. And then even part four, composers and composition, looking at J.S. Bach and musical hermeneutics, uh, Felix Mendelssohn's psalm settings, so getting into uh, particular composers and how they used hymns, the anatomy of a hymn tune, criteria for good church music. A wonderful book I highly recommend. A number of years ago, I went through this book with my church choir uh, during a summer uh, session. Each week, we looked at one of the chapters, they read it, and we talked about it. Uh, so it's just a wonderful resource that I highly recommend to you, Singing and Making Music, Issues in Church Music Today by Paul Jones. So what then in Psalm 96 are the reasons that David gives for singing to the Lord? 
I mentioned a moment ago, a good hymn has expressions of affection toward the Lord and reasons for those expressions. Well, in Psalm 96, first, we sing because of the worthiness of God. God is great, and therefore he deserves praise, verse 4. In fact, the pagan gods are worthless, he says in verse 5, compared to God. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, verse 6. Glory and strength are due his name, verse 8. He is righteous and faithful, verse 13. In other words, God is great, he is majestic, he is glorious and strong, he is righteous and faithful, and therefore he deserves expressions of praise, adoration, fear, trembling, and rejoicing. But not only is God's nature and character worthy of expressions of worship, he is also worthy, as the psalm models, because of what he has done. And David lists many of God's marvelous works, as he says in verse 3, throughout the psalm. God saves us, verse 2. He made the heavens, verse 5. He is coming to judge the earth, verse 13. Each of these acts of God deserves our response, and so David proclaims such a response. So we praise God for who he is and for what he does. But there's another profound reason that we sing beyond simply the worthiness of God. According to David in this psalm, this this singing is not supposed to take place just in isolated conclaves of God's people. Rather, according to David, singing is supposed to take, according to verse 3, it's supposed to take place among the nations, among all the peoples. Well, why? Isn't it true that singing is only for the redeemed people of God? Is it, is it not true that only God's people can worship him? Is it not true that this singing is to God and for God? Well, yes, yeah, certainly all those things are true. Only the redeemed people of God can sing these kinds of things, and the primary audience of our singing is God. But we are to do so among unbelieving peoples. Because as God's people sing to him among the nations, as they bless his name, as they tell of his salvation, as they declare his glory, this serves as a powerful witness to unbelieving people of the world. It leads to those people joining in with the praise as they come to faith in God. You see, there's nothing more evangelistic than God-centered worship in which we bless his name, we magnify his glory, we delight in his splendor, we recount his works of creation and salvation. The greatest witness to the unbelieving world is when we faithfully recite the works of the Lord in our worship and respond rightly to him with our hearts, expressing these things verbally through singing. So according to Psalm 96, we sing in worship because it helps us to express appropriate heart affection toward God in response to the worthiness of his character and works, which both glorifies him and is a powerful witness to the unbelieving world. But there's another reason that we sing that I believe is often forgotten and overlooked and ignored. We sing because singing forms us. This is really the power of all art, literature, drama, painting, poetry, song. These art forms don't just allow us to express what we have already personally experienced. They do that, but they don't just do that. They also shape our responses. 
And they shape our responses through powerfully portraying formative realities that we may not have even actually experienced for ourselves, but they form us. This is why we would sing a poem like Psalm 96 about future realities as if they are happening right now. That's what this psalm does. By singing about all the families of the people praising God, even though it hasn't happened yet, all of creation praising God, and the Lord coming to judge the earth and and, in righteousness and faithfulness, these are future realities that haven't happened yet. But by singing those things, our hearts are shaped as if we are really experiencing those realities right now. It's more than just an expression of hope that these things will, will indeed happen in the future. Through art, we are making the future momentarily present such that it can form us, it can form our hearts. You see, today, Christians often recognize the expressive power of singing and worship. We know that songs give us a way to express our hearts to God. But Christians often fail to recognize the formative power of song. Songs both express and form. We we choose songs to sing in our corporate worship, not just because they give us good ways to express what is already in our hearts. We choose good songs that form our expressions, that mature our expressions, that grow them and expand them in ways that would not necessarily naturally happen. David and the Hebrews sang this song, Psalm 96, and we sing songs like this today so that our singing of God's character and works shapes and forms us into people who live in light of that reality. So that it it shapes our hearts and causes us to sing. So that it causes us to sing, as the psalm says, a new song. And this brings us full circle, right back to the opening line of the psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. A new song is a song that rises out of the heart of one who has experienced the Lord's salvation, who has experienced the goodness and greatness of God, and even more specifically, one who sings, one who responds, one who worships as if the Lord has already come to judge the world and reign perfectly over all things. He sings as if all the families of the people are already ascribing glory to God, the glory due his name. As if if the very heavens and earth and seas and fields and trees are already singing for joy to him. A new song is a song that expresses right affection toward God in response to who he is and what he has done. It is a song that blesses his name, tells of his salvation from day to day, declares his glory among the nations. A new song is a song that shapes and forms us, molding our minds and our hearts such that we cannot help but believe and sing as the song says, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on iTunes or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating. That really helps us to spread the word. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. 
Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture.